0: Today we're going to be in John chapter 6 and the last time we looked at the healing at Bethesda and that led to a teaching moment uh, for the religious leaders and today we're going to cover two portions of scripture, one where Jesus feeds the 5,000 and that acquiesces or naturally flows into the teaching of Jesus walking on the water. Verse 1, It says after these things, these teachings, this healing in Bethesda, this uh, instruction to the religious leaders, uh, Jesus went over to the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased or sick. So the multitude followed Jesus because of his healings. You really got to pay close attention to the text. Every once in a while, I'll go into the Greek and make it uh, make more sense and just bring out some nuances that we might not get into the English. But there are many reasons to come to God, and not all of them are good ones. Uh, some reasons are, it's, it's very odd. You know, we want God's healing. We want God, we cry out to God when we're in trouble. You know, if we're, if we're unbelievers, we, we do want certain things from God. Lord, help me. Uh, this is like a near-death experience. Uh, but sometimes people want the, the things, the accoutrements that God has, but not him. We want your heaven. We don't want to be judged. We don't want to go to hell. We want your help. We want your healings, but we don't want you. So in, And we're going to see this next Sunday where as the, he starts to dialogue with the people that followed him, a lot of them came for the wrong reasons. I have to tell you as an unbeliever, I only cried out to God when I was in trouble. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Now I have a relationship with him. Praise God. Uh, But we made a good case about that last Sunday, having the proper um, attitude, the proper stance towards God. Verse 3, And Jesus went up on a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him. For he himself knew what he would do. So even the Son of God never hyped himself up. Right? He had no desire to draw the masses, but he naturally did. The Bible says that he went up with his disciples. However, as the word spread, a crowd formed, and before you know it, there's uh, thousands of people in a remote place with Jesus. And after the teachings and healings, now these people have nutritional needs. they're hungry. Uh, We don't know how many hours transpired uh, since this actually happened. Now, I just want to give you an idea of what the size of this crowd was. In Matthew's Gospel, it says there were 5,000 men plus women and children. So there arguably could have been about 15,000 people in this remote place. Now, let's look at our church. If you look around, you've got pews, you've got the balcony, you've got the area in the back. If we were to pack all the seats out, there was no, nobody left, in the pews and the balcony, and put up individual chairs in the back, we could probably squeeze 400 people in this place. That's a lot of people. Now take that number, a little simple mathematics, and multiply it roughly by 36. And there's a sea of faces up on that mountaintop, okay? And all four Gospels record this event. Mark's Gospel tells us that Jesus had compassion on them. They were like sheep in need of a shepherd. He was constantly teaching, which was the hallmark of his ministry. And that's why we focus so much on the word of God, because Jesus' goal, his desire, is to constantly reconcile sinful men and women back to the Father in heaven so we can have this awesome spiritual family relationship. So his words, we focus at Calvary Chapel so much on his words because his words have life, because they're the instructions. They're the way back to God. Okay, Verse 6, So Jesus asked Philip, so where shall we buy bread for the multitude? Now, he was testing or proving Philip. Jesus, of course, already knew the answer. And we did see this in Genesis with God testing Abraham. Would he give up his son Isaac for the Lord? Now, God already knew the answer, but, you know, the Bible had to be written and we had to see what was going to happen 2,000 years later. I have no doubt in my mind that God knew the answer. He's omniscient. But maybe he also needed Abraham to see it for himself. You see, we get to the portion of Scripture where God tests us. Number one, we need to see what we look like in the spiritual mirror. Right? When he tests us, there's a reflection cast about where we are spiritually. And then when we understand that, he can grow us. So number one, where are we at? Where do we need to be? And do we see that objectively about ourselves? And that's when the maturity can happen. And we've spoken about this testing and this trial period before. We've spoken about the precious metals and how they're purified and heated and put under intense uh, you know, persecution, I guess, for an inanimate object. And then the dross is removed from the top and, and they keep purifying that metal. But we can look at this also in the, in the military, in the Navy SEALs. You get a bunch of guys who are interested, but a lot of them get washed out. The majority do. They don't make it. You know, the idea is to forge these men to get together to act as a team because they can be over in other countries in hostile territory where they have to depend on each other. And they can't be individuals. So there's a refining process in the Navy SEALs as well. Okay, let's look at something that's most important. It's eternal. It's our faith. Our faith will stand the test of time and eternity over those precious metals and over any cohesive unit you may be a part of. So at the same time, we can see why we should submit to this proving or testing process, because it's eternal. Now, this may be you this morning. You may have a crisis of faith. You may have an issue of trust. You may feel that God has forgotten you, but he has not. You may be going through a testing process. And it doesn't feel good, didn't feel good for me all the times I went through it, but he has a purpose for you and a purpose for me. Seven. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So Philip answers the question with an obvious problem. You know, we can't feed them. Look how many there are. Furthermore, the caterer doesn't deliver this far up the mountain, you know? It's out of their zip code. And Andrew's solution was to find a little boy and shake him down for his lunch. You know what I'm saying? And we're going to look at these solutions. Of course, I'm being facetious. But let's look at these. Number one. And you know what I love? I love when I go through the Gospels, and it's labor intensive. I go through every other Gospel, and I find out the same thing that's being said from the other person's perspective. And then I take all four Gospels and I bring it together so we can get the whole picture. And I'm going to do that this morning. So number one, Matthew's Gospel. He says that the disciples as a whole, their solution, send the people away, right? Hey, that's great. No people, no problem, right? Send them into town, let them get food, let them get lodging. Hey, you're on your own, okay? Avoiding the problem. And of course, this was the worst solution. And a lot of times, this is the society's solution. We're taught, if there's a problem, get rid of the problem. If there's a problem in your relationship, get rid of that person. Get remarried. If there's a problem with your child, you know, this is what we're taught in society. Do what feels good for you. Avoid the problem. Remove the problem. Because it's all about you. So this was the worst suggestion. The second suggestion came from Philip. This was a problem really with no solution. Quite frankly, he's also money-focused. And there's too much of that in Christianity. The idea, even in the church today, that money is going to solve the church's problems as individuals and as a church. It's all about money. We've replaced trusting God with worrying about the big payout. Okay, And I don't want to make too much of what Philip is saying here, but that's the issue. His solution was, well, we need money. We need more than 200 days' wage, and that's going to solve the problem. Let's throw money at it. Listen, we're not the government. I mean, if you look and read the news, we're $16 trillion in debt. We're throwing money at everything, and we still haven't solved any problems. Social, Social Security, Medicare, all that kind of stuff. Um, it, it's not. The solution is to give the problem to God or bring God into the problem. The third solution is from Andrew. At least he does a little bit more than the other others, is that... He finds a boy with food, but he says, hey, it's not enough. I suppose if we take these fish and chop them up, everybody could get a scale or a fin, but I still don't think it's going to work, Jesus. But at least he tried. The boy, he did the most out of all the disciples. He didn't hide his lunch under his shirt. He was willing to give it up to see what the Lord could do with that food. And the Lord multiplied it. I love that. There's a lesson in there that we trust God enough to give him all that we have now if you think of this little boy his mom probably packed his lunch for him and he said mom there's this teacher and it's really exciting you got to hear him and he goes up by himself and he spends hours there and the little boy needs to eat you know children can be afraid they can be scared um, and this is all he had to sustain him but he gave it to the lord he gave it to the lord we must give over all we have to the lord starting with our hearts he doesn't want rote routine from us. He wants our hearts, our possessions, our relationships, even our comforts. And the Lord will multiply those. You know, it's it's in the story, and, and you know, if you've been a Christian long enough, you've seen it in your own life. But the first step is to trust him enough to give ourselves over to him. The fourth solution is Jesus' solution, and that solution is to bring God into the solution. And this was something that he wanted the disciples to learn. I was blessed to be able to speak with a brother uh, over a week ago about a situation. We were encouraging him just to really honor the Lord in in a particular situation. And he did. And what happened was, uh, what we found was, he came back to me and told me the bountiful things that God was doing in his life. And it wasn't just in that situation. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. It's a prioritization. And sometimes we don't have our priorities right and we wonder why we're still struggling. Now, this is also a great model for leadership to adopt. Anything you can look at in the scripture, we can take for leadership. Um, And even in our daily walks. I remember even at the pastor's conference, uh, towards the end of the day, it was such an awesome conference. uh, I ended up getting a migraine and I was in the other pastor's that are part of this church in their room and i just was out you know it was i had to be in the darkness when you get a migraine you got to deal with that stuff but one of our elders john had come in and and i said you know i'm gonna take advantage of this situation so i just talked about a minor problem in the church that worked itself out and i said so how would you handle it and he started and he he heard himself as he was speaking through it and i challenged him on some points and it was really neat how we worked through that but this is the model that i took from jesus he did the same thing with his disciples i already know how i'm going to handle this But I want to see how you guys are going to handle it. Now work it out. See how it fleshes out. That's pretty neat to look at. Verse 10. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down. And likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Imagine watching the Son of God work. I could just picture some of the disciples nudging the people and go, you've got to watch this. This is going to be good. You know what I'm saying? So that's why I like to do that. Hey, we talked about the numbers. We, we talked about how many people were there. Just interject yourself into that situation. It must have been quite fantastic to look at. Mark's gospel tells us they sat in ranks, in hundreds and in fifties. And then we know that Jesus gave thanks, which is something that we always need to keep in mind, to give God thanks for anything and everything that we have. Three, he distributed the food, or they did. And four, he even had them gather up the fragments. The fragments. Now, my grandma, Grandma Carmella, she always would reference this. And of course, she called the fragments leftovers. You know, And she never wasted any of the leftovers. We could be eating them from day to day to day. She would say, waste not, want not. But she certainly got the idea and the impression from Jesus here. Um, they even picked up all the ones that were left. They didn't just leave them laying around. What this shows us is that God is a God of order, and we see that in 1 Corinthians. He doesn't do things haphazardly. There's always priorities that he has when he works, and it's great to watch. Therefore, they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then, those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, Truly, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. What grabs my attention is two things. Number one, they were filled, they were satiated. They didn't all get a fin and a crumb, put it in their mouths and say, "Imagine it, it's really filling." I mean, they were filled. There was abundance, and I love that. God works in abundance. There were 12 basketfuls of fragments left over, which was much more than they started with. So they were empty belly, they were hungry. there was a few uh, loaves and a few fish, and at the end, they were all full, and they had 12 baskets full. That's God's mathematics brothers and sisters, this is something to look at this morning. God does multiply blessings over and above anything man can do and anything man can buy. So what he showed the disciples was we didn't need a dime out of this. We didn't have to spend any money from the treasury. We just asked the Lord to come and bless this, and he did. So we have mathematics, and I love math, and my son loves math, but this is way out of the realm of what we can do with multiplication and addition and, and um you know, all that kind of stuff. God provides, and then some, abundance and overflow. And we we bring this back to chapter 4, where he spoke about the fountains of living waters that would would come up from inside of us and spill over, that we would be filled by God, we would have an abundance of spiritual things, and that we would overflow onto others. And if you've been a Christian for a while, you've experienced that. I know believers who uh, say to me, I can't remember scripture. And then God puts them in a situation with a person and they minister to them. And after an hour is done, they call me up and say, I don't even know what I said, but the person was ministered to. God just pulled these scriptures into my head and and they were able now to not only be filled, but to to spill over onto others. And that's exciting. You know, new stuff, new toys, material things, they're kind of nice for a while. But when you can affect another person who has free will, and help to change their life, that's amazing. It's, it's amazing. It's over and above what material things can do. Now, in verse 14, they said, and this is um, really a, a prophetic scripture fulfilled, this is truly the prophet who has come into the world. i want going to turn to Deuteronomy 18, all the way back into the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 18, starting with verse 15. And this is Moses speaking, and there's a contextual issue here, but he's also speaking in the future about the coming Christ. Why? Because after Moses came some amazing prophets. We know, we think about Elisha and Elijah, and they never fulfilled this prophecy. And no one ever claimed that they fulfilled this prophecy. So this is just to show you how important that Jesus is and how even in the Old Testament, in the first five books, it points forward to Jesus. He says, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from our midst or similar to me from your brethren. Even Moses didn't have the full picture. Him you shall hear. According to all you desired of the Lord your God in Horeb in the day of the assembly, saying, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, nor let me see this great fire anymore lest I die. The people demanded to see God. They demanded uh, to cut out the middleman, Moses. And God did some incredible signs and wonders. People were scared. There was judgment involved. So they said, well, you know, I think we'll back off on that first request. And the Lord said to me, what they have spoken is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, the Jewish people, and will put my words in his mouth. Jesus is the Logos. Now, even the prophets between Moses and Jesus Some of them were a little self-centered. Some of them said some things they shouldn't have. Some of them had crisis of faith. But Jesus said, everything the Father does, everything the Father says, I'm going to say and do. And none of us could say that. And he shall speak to them all that I command him. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of of him. And in the Hebrew, it was understood that the, the people would die. Jesus has life. Come to Jesus, pass through judgment, not a problem. Trust Him as your Lord and Savior. Reject the Lord, reject God's way of salvation, and you're not saved. And you will stand in judgment. We covered that last Sunday. 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take Him by force to make Him a king, He departed again to a mountain by Himself alone. Very unusual. Imagine somebody forcing you to be a ruler over them. It's kind of bizarre. But the people hated the Roman yoke and they were looking for a change and they saw Jesus do the miracles and said, okay. And he also claims to be God, we'll take him over, you know, the, the Caesars and, and the Roman rulers. We've had enough of them. But what we see is that big crowds follow Jesus. And he was not looking for the big crowds. Today men and women seek big followings. Maybe as a CEO maybe in in ministry, maybe in church, right? From the beginning of time, you know, dictators seeking leadership or seeking followers, followers. and there are some that makes them feel bigger the more that are following them. And this is a problem in ministry. American Christianity sometimes is too caught up in big. So many are caught up in big, maybe leaving the small church for big. Sometimes people get lost in big. See, Jesus wasn't looking for big, big lights, big money, big name, big followings, big ticket, right? He did his finest work in smaller groups. And again, let's follow that paradigm for us. Everything he did, we can follow. I do my best work spending a half an hour with a person, or maybe spending a few minutes after service explaining something that I said. Dialogue, that's the Jesus style. If our desire is always to be big, we need to check our motives. And again, you look at some of these uh, ideas. These pastors become untouchable. They become celebrities. They need bodyguards. They're wealthy beyond belief. Kenneth Copeland has his own airport with a fleet of airplanes. And what does he get his money from? Little old ladies who trust him and, and hear his words and think that they have to give him money and God will be pleased with them. These guys, are they fleece the flock. They're not teaching the flock. They're fleecing them. Not good. Take by force. Jesus was not ready to be an earthly king. It was not on the prophetic time clock. All this stuff had an order. There's a prophecy to the time periods and such. And we can see that all the way going back to the Old Testament. It's not even time now, it's a future time for the Lord to come back and establish his kingdom on the earth. Christ first wanted to transform hearts when he came, the people were looking for relief from the Romans, but he was trying to transform them spiritually. Spiritual transformation at the time trumped physical rule. And today, some fall into the same trap. There's a uh, theology called kingdom now theology. Well, we're, as Christians, going to change things in the, in, in, in the earth and we're going to change the political atmosphere and we're going to make it so that God has to come back soon because we're going to cl- clean up the earth. It's never going to happen. That's flawed theology. Or your best life now. It's all about now, now, now. We're in an instant gratification society and therefore these teachings will follow what Americans are demanding. I want it now. I want to drive through faith. It doesn't work like that as we'll see. If you don't know the Lord and you've come here today the Lord is trying to transform your heart. Before he does anything temporally, he wants your heart. The spiritual has to come first. Verse 15 it says the people wanted to take him by force. Now for those of you who are more mature in the faith and really know your scripture that word is harpazo They wanted to snatch him up. They wanted to grab him up and say, here, here's the robe, here's the scepter, be our king. That's the same word for the rapture. A time in our near future where the Lord will say, okay, this earth and this uh, dispensation has run its course. I'm going to pull my believers out of here. I'm going to snatch them up to me. And then the plagues in Revelation, the judgments on the earth will start to fall. And that's where that book of Revelation really is going to start to open up. It's pretty wild stuff. Verse 16. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat, and went over the sea towards Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because a great wind was blowing. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. If we take all the Gospels together, we find that not only did the people want to take Jesus by force, but there was a tumult. You know how mob mentality is? You've probably seen it on the news and YouTube. There's a frenzy. One person suggests something and everybody in the crowd decides to do it. Uh, Flash mobs, you know, stealing stuff from stores. And, you know, there's just this type of whipping up people into a frenzy. So you can see that that probably happened here too. They were so excited by the miracles, they were like, listen, we're going to get rid of the Romans today. Let's take this guy by force and make him our king. So a little coup being planned. Now, as I was studying this, um, it's just my belief that possibly that this was a temptation too great for the disciples to bear. Jesus, the Bible tells us in the other Gospels that he actually sent them away from the crowds and sent them into the boat to go across the Sea of Galilee. Probably it was too early in their formative years as disciples for them to maturely be able to handle this. Now, I'll tell you this, as a new believer, the first few years and even beyond, and you know you never become fully mature as a believer, you're always striving for that perfection of Christ, but there were things I couldn't handle, maybe temptations I couldn't handle. And these guys had some character flaws. Yes, the disciples so when you start to get down on yourself, let's talk about them. Judas, he flaked out. You know, he, he did his thing, and, and he never came back. And the Lord really loved him and wanted him to be forgiven, but he went and hanged himself. So we don't really know what happened with Judas, but he did. He flaked out. He left the group. Peter was impetuous. He was always speaking too fast. And then he, the Lord had to rebuke him at times. All right? Um, James and John, we know that they wanted to sit on Jesus' right hand and on his left. They even put their mother up to it at one point in time. little ambition there. So I can name at least four of the guys who had character flaws. Maybe early in the ministry, the temptation to become great. Maybe Peter would have been like, all right, I'm going to be a general. And James and John, well, we'll be two-star generals. And Jesus said, listen, get out of here. (laughs) Get away from the crowd. I know what's best for you. Get on the boat. Go to the other side but there were storms on the Sea of Galilee. Now, the other gospels do a really neat job of showing the intensity of the storm. And this is basically how it happens. You have the Sea of Galilee, which is still there, the mountains that surrounding it, they're still there. And they're pretty steep. And the cold air that comes down from the mountain, you know, cold air falls, it swoops down to the sides of the mountain and ends up on the sea. What happens, the heat of the sun warms up the air on top of the water. I feel like I should do a Weather Channel kind of presentation (laughs) with the clouds behind me, you know? (laughs) I'll be brief. (laughs) So you have the cold air clashing with the warm air currents, and then you have this turbulence. Understand, these guys were, many of them were experienced fishermen. These guys weren't cowards. You ever see, like, the deadliest cat shows? I mean, I wouldn't want to do that. I mean... (laughs) I think I'm brave, but I just I think I'd be thrown up the whole way, but that's not important The bottom line is these guys were hardened fishermen. They were tough guys. They were strong. They had to carry heavy nets You know, it's not like the hydraulics you see today and they were scared in 1992 and you can look this up pretty neat 1992 not that long ago on that same sea of Galilee there was a storm that caused 10-foot waves to crash into downtown Tiberias, causing a lot of damage, 1992. Imagine what the waves looked like in the middle. So you you can check that out on your own. I thought that would be an interesting little tidbit. So now we have a little bit of the backdrop of what's going on. So let's continue. Mark 6, 48. I want to read this to you. Actually, two verses, 48 and 49, Mark's Gospel. It stopped me in my tracks when I read this. It says, then he, Jesus, saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them. He waited, walking on the sea, and would have passed them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed it was a ghost and cried out. That's powerful. What does that tell us? It tells us that God sees everything and doesn't always act right away. And this morning, you may be in that situation. He might see you straining, and he would have walked past you had you not cried out in fear. Listen, this is tough. As, as, and, and listen, we mistake this for, well, God doesn't love me, he doesn't care. Yes, he does. He knows the right time to act in our lives. Sometimes, if he does it too soon, and we don't know this, but he knows this. If he does it too soon, number one, we'll either try to take glory for it or we'll forget about him. Sometimes, in order to to break us, because we need to be broken because we're willful, we're like those mules. He's got to give it some time. Now, when we have a little baby and your baby learns to walk, you've seen it. They kind of is, you know, babies have really big heads and really big butts. I mean, it's just (laughs) the way it is. (laughs) And you put this big padded diaper on them, it's great. It really stops the gravity when they fall on their butt. They're not going to die. When the baby tries to climb up and tries to walk, if we're always there to catch that child, we're never going to teach them anything. As painful as it is as a parent, we need to watch that child fall on their butt a few times and cry. But eventually they're going to be walking. Now, if the baby gets too close to the basement steps, then you got to pull them away. Otherwise, boom, 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 and no more baby. And we don't want that. So Jesus knows, the Lord knows in our lives when to catch us and when to let us fall on our behinds. Amen? Amen. Oh, good. (laughs) And we've all been there. I've been there, and it's not fun when it happens. He knows when to wait. He knows when to step in. He knows when we're on the edge. The bread and the fish were multiplied first. And this was a test, proving and possibly, if I'm right, temptation. Here, he steps it up a little bit. Now there's more at stake. There's a very dangerous storm. This is more of a trial. And we go through these things, through these temptations and these trials and provings. We go back and forth as we mature in our faith. Because we start really as an empty slate that the Lord needs to to work with. Warren Wiersbe said this, I love this, he said, we often think storms come because we're disobedient, check this out. He said, sometimes the storms come because we've been obedient to the Lord, and he sent them, he sent those disciples into that storm. Now, if you don't know the Lord very well, it's gonna take you a while to understand the scripture to get this, this proving concept. He knows what's good for us. Don't mistake purifying for punishment. Sometimes we think I'm being punished, but it's possible that we're being purified. Amen? Amen. I will tell you this, that in my life with my wife, in the early years of our marriage, and I've said this before, write a check for the electric company, write a check for the phone company, and I would say to my wife, because I'm very meticulous like this. I would write the check, put the stamp on and say, now don't put them in the mailbox because we're gonna get insufficient funds and we're gonna get charged not only by the company, but the bank because we don't have the money in the bank to do this. And this went on for years. But you know what it taught us? It taught us how to be generous, okay? Health, between my wife and I, we've probably had about 12 surgical procedures going through general anesthesia. And I don't spill my tail of woe here from the pulpit, but it wasn't fun. Recovery process is often not fun, but you know what it taught us? It taught us to be more compassionate when other people go through that. Now, it was miserable when we actually went through it, but it was for a purpose. This is why I have a problem with the prosperity gospel, because their design is to create spiritual babies forever. Don't, don't be hurt. Don't be sick. Don't, don't have not money. You know, you need to have money and you need to be healthy all the time. Not true. If that's the case, we will never grow and we will never learn. It makes spiritual American babies not good. You will go through things in your walk where your relationships are tested. You'll be lonely at times. You'll have no friends. People will abandon you. It happened to Jesus. You will get slammed. And sometimes we can get angry about it. It's okay. Sometimes we get a little depressed. Sometimes we get a little bitter about it. Sometimes we really need to be with the Lord because he's got to get us through. But I'll tell you this. I've been a pastor for eight years, a senior pastor of this church. Maybe if I would have tried to start two more years earlier, I would have messed the whole thing up. You see, he loved me enough to test me and prove me and and cause uh, trials in my life, but he also loved you so that I didn't mess this place up. Isn't that amazing? So when you really look at the forging process, the purifying process, there's a reason for all of it. We have nothing to give others if we haven't been through it. Okay, we we can give more when we've been purified, and that's a lifelong process. And you may say, and, and it, it is kind of funny because when I was really upset with Lord, I would complain to him, I'd be angry, and I didn't hear an audible audible voice. But the thought that entered my mind was, didn't you say you wanted to be a pastor? <laughs> and it shut me right down. And I'm like, oof. My wife reminded me of that too. And you may say, but my carnal Christian friends are doing just fine. Nothing seems to happen to them. Well, there's a reason for that. Do you want to be like that? Or do you want to have a stronger faith than just a surface veneer? Raise your hands. How many of you have prayed for patience? Wow. (laughs) Did God take a nice little box, put it in there, put a pretty bow around it and say, here you go. Just come through the drive-thru and I'll hand it to you. <laughs> Romans 5 tells us that patience, it starts with tribulation. So be careful what you ask for. Lord, I want to be a, like those, those believers of old. I want to be uh, like those, those great giants of the Christian faith. Be careful when you ask that question. And look what see what's coming around the corner. The storm comes. The disciples were between a rock and a hard place. They had mob mentality over here. They had the storm here. And you may be there too. You may be temptation here, tribulation here. And as the the little maps say, you are here. You're in the midst of that. And it doesn't feel good. But God has a plan. He will watch and he will act when he needs to, to act. Remember, God is still in control. And it's only, and this is the interesting thing about these tribulations, it's only until we we, we get out of them and we look back that we really see how much sense it makes. It never makes sense when you're going through that. I'll tell you that right now. Never makes sense when you're going through it. But once you get through it, it makes a whole world of sense because you can see the change in yourself. In Matthew's gospel, Peter saw the Lord and says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And the Lord did command him, and Peter actually walked on water. But he sank when he took his focus off of the Lord. And he said, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. The awesome thing about the Lord is he will never give us more than we can handle. If you're all still here and you're all still sane, then God didn't give you more than you can handle. He never will. And if you say, Lord, save me, it's like that trump card Lord, I got my hand out, I'm sinking. But you've got to put your hand out. Because if you don't, you're going to sink. Verse 20. He says in the English, in John 6, verse 20, it is I, do not be afraid. Doesn't come out real well. Let's go to the Greek and then let's go back to the English again. He says, "Ego e mi me me phobiste. Now, what that means is, if you're familiar with it, egoe me, said so many times. He says, I am. And that is the name that God used for himself, the eternally existent one I always was and always will be. And that's what was used in Exodus 3 when the Father spoke to Moses. Jesus takes that and says, I am. He's basically saying, I am God, and because of that, do not be afraid. It makes more sense when you actually pull it out of the Greek. You guys, the reason why you shouldn't be afraid is, I'm God and I'm right here with you. I'm not going to let anything happen to you. 1 Peter 5 says... Cast your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. Amen. So verse 21, in the end, the disciples willingly received him into the boat. And the question is, have we willingly received him into the boat of our life? Number one, some of us are still rowing. You're trying to do it your way first. The wind is blowing, the storm is contrary, you're rowing. You're trying to go forward, and you're actually being pushed backwards. That's the interesting thing about being on the sea. You can actually go backwards if the storm is, is, is great enough. Stop rowing. Give it to the Lord. Number two, taking all the Gospels together. At one point, the disciples were struggling, and they were panicking. Sometimes we struggle, and we panic. Sometimes we're futilely doing things without the Lord. And that gives way to struggle and panic, because we do it in our own strength. Three, taking all the Gospels together. They saw Jesus walking on the water at night, and they were afraid because they didn't assume that he was right there with them. They made a poor assumption, and they said, it's a ghost. Phantasma in the Greek. What were they thinking? They didn't think he was right there. Didn't they know that he had a plan for their lives, and they were the disciples, and they were going to build a church? But at that moment of fear, they didn't think he was right there with them. Some of you today may not feel that God is close. And I got to be honest with you. When I'm struggling in my life, I know enough about the word, even though my emotions are deceiving me. He doesn't care about me, blah, blah, blah. He's not answering me. The truth is, because I know that word so well, I've created the distance. Or he's allowing something to happen to purify me. We have to assume, though, that he's right there with us and he's not going to allow us to be destroyed. And four, but in the end, they willingly received him into the boat. And from that point, they were finally at peace. Are you willing to receive him into the boat of your life? I was watching a, a show. There was a, a book written, a documentary, because it was such a powerful event. And there was a show done on it called Amish Grace. In 2006, a gunman walked into a classroom in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and shot five girls five of them died five of them lived and the the news people secular people were blown away by the grace and the forgiveness that the amish community showed the gunman's family and they were they couldn't believe it Uh, not long after the shooting the elders from the community of the amish people they came to the house of the wife of the shooter and they they just were ministering to her they brought stuff to her house Um, it was unbelievable There's a line in the movie where where one of the wives is struggling, the Amish women, because her daughter had died. And she was angry with God and struggling with forgiveness. Now, eventually she did. But in between, the husband said to her, faith must be tested because it's not a true faith if it's not tested. Today, we're speaking about a pragmatic faith. And faith indicates trust in God. It's real cool to read about it. Oh, it warms my heart. Hey, I feel great on Sunday. Let's go to the beach. But it's more real when you go through it. And nobody, believe me, I'm going to first to raise my hand, oh Lord, so I'm learning about something. He says, okay, now you're going to go through it. I really got it, Lord. It's okay. You don't have to do that. I appreciate your help. But, you know, it's a, this pragmatic faith where we go through it. Now we're going to do it by the numbers. And you're going to really learn it well. It's powerful. Some of us this morning, our faith has not yet been tested. Others, Right now, you're in the midst of a very difficult testing. And still others, we've grown because we've been through that testing. And it's made us better people. It's made us stronger. But if the Lord can feed 5,000, maybe 15,000, he can provide a solution to any of your problems. Amen. Amen. If the Lord can walk on water, he's showing that he has dominion over the elements. I have dominion. I created this. I can do whatever I want. Gravity's not going to affect me over a situation right now that may be troubling you. He has power over the storms and the waves, and he's conquered death, that last foe to be defeated. So what is it that you don't think he can handle? Trust him. And you're here for a reason today. Trust me in that one, only because I know the scripture. Don't trust me for anything else. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, the time will come that instead of, shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. That's powerful. Is that where we want to be? Is that where we want to be? It's true today. There's too much of a one-sided picture of the faith that's pre- presented. It's watered down, and it's, it's, for, the, for, it's for Western Christianity, a watered-down diet, a liquid gospel, for them to be spoon-fed so that we can remain babies forever. That's not... Let me tell you something. The, the persecuted church... They don't understand. There's no such thing as the prosperity gospel. Why? Because they're not prospering. Because they're poor. Because they're sick. Because there's a lot of pastors' widows. Because pastors have been killed. Churches have been burned down. There's no such thing as the prosperity gospel over there. It's real Christianity. And they have to forgive. And we read that, um, I think, last Sunday or the Sunday before. Because as a result, Western Christians, sometimes we're afraid to fail, we're afraid not to look perfect to our peers. We avoid problems, or we desire a carnal Christian existence. And every one of those four things, at some point in my walk, I've been. I'm just here to tell you that right now. When we stumble and we're troubled, let's not seek entertainment or carnality or the easy way out or even isolation. We hurt ourselves when we do that. Let's look to the Lord to solve, multiply, and provide as he did when he fed the 5,000. Always willing to receive him into the boat of our life to practice a pragmatic faith, a real faith, not something watered down or textbook, to live through what we just learned about and trusting him, trusting him for the outcome no matter what. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, your word is powerful, Lord. Um, we, We read the stories, we even act them out in plays, but I can't imagine maybe the terror that the disciples felt as the waves were just well above that little boat that they had, taking on water. And uh, it's just...